With American demographics changing dramatically and the cost of care soaring, many more Americans are dealing with many more caregiving responsibility for many more people in their lives. Children, parents, parents-in-law, grandparents, and even friends and neighbors. Yet as a nation, we have failed to take cognizance of the rising burden of unpaid informal care for millions of Americans. Smart employers will seize the opportunity to gain an advantage in the increasingly ferocious war to recruit and retain talent through a deliberate strategy to become a corporate care leader. Caring companies will pioneer innovative solutions for the needs of their workforce and create a badly needed set of new best practices. In turn, they will inspire other companies to follow in their path. Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss. Fading Memories is a free podcast supporting family caregivers of people with Alzheimer's and other dementias. You want to help us grow so that we can continue helping other caregivers? Please follow us on social media. Every week we post clips of current episodes, past episodes, useful information, all of which you can share with friends and family. The links to all of our accounts are in the show notes every week. Scroll on down to the bottom, click on them, find your favorite platform to use, and please share clips of the show with any other caregivers or anybody that needs to understand what your situation is like. This week's episode is a very researched topic on caregiving and employment struggles. Now, regular listeners know that I am self-employed, and while there is a lot of flexibility with being self-employed, there also needs to be a lot of flexibility for my clients. And as my mom has declined and progressed into later stage Alzheimer's, this topic became more meaningful to me because even for someone like myself who is self-employed, the struggle to continue my career build this new podcast career, and do the best I can for my mom becomes a higher and higher challenge like every week lately. I know a lot of caregivers are struggling to balance their work, their families, and their caregiving. And this is the beginning of a conversation that I hope will inspire employers, CEOs, employees, entrepreneurs like myself to come up with solutions. The beginning of this episode is a lot of the research. It's a little bit dry, but hang with it. After the research portion are two interviews, and I think you will be greatly surprised and in a positive way. My goal was to start a thought process, a conversation process, and hopefully inspire quite a few people to begin the process of solving this problem. Regular listeners and those that know me well know that I have been self-employed for almost the entirety of my adult life. That makes the topic of what employers can do to better support those of us who are working and caring for an elder seem like an unlikely one for me, actually. However, in my two-plus years of talking to and interviewing caregivers, in addition to my own experiences, shows me that someone needs to have this conversation with the business and community leaders who are in a position to make these necessary changes. Now, starting this year, 
the year 2020, 25% of all Americans will be aged 55 or older. Nearly half of our middle-aged population are sandwiched between providing for the needs of parents while also raising children or providing for an adult child over the age of 18. Now, nearly 25% of Alzheimer's and dementia caregivers are part of this sandwich generation. That would be nearly 12 million people in the United States alone, a number that is growing rapidly. Family caregiving today is more complex, costly, stressful, and demanding than at any other time in human history. Until recently, employees have silently borne the cost of the out-of-view care that they provide. To attract and retain skilled workers, employers will need to find ways to offset some of these burdens. In a tight labor force where demand for high-level high employees exceeds supply, engaging in and finding solutions to this problem will need to become a priority. Research is showing that labor market conditions will compel employers to seriously consider making investments that reduce the impact of care-related concerns on employee productivity and retention. In the absence of any care infrastructure, more workers are going to find it hard to justify staying in the workforce, or if they do, they will find it nearly impossible to give their best to their job consistently. Now, compounding this problem, over the past 50 years, the American economy has become dependent on the female labor force, which peaked in 1999. Since the end of the Great Recession, the vast majority of non-gig jobs created have required some form of advanced education. Women are making up an ever-increasing majority of post-secondary education graduates. While labor force participation is high in younger women, as women age, they continue to drop out of the workforce or scale back their outside employment. This has been consistent over many, many decades. Much of the highly skilled female workforce at one point or another opts out scales back or redefines work due to caregiving responsibilities. Now, this is likely due to the fact that women are consistently the overwhelming majority of caregivers for both children and the elderly. 69% of women say they would not have left the workforce if their workplace had offered more flexible arrangements. Older workers, especially women who are more likely to have elder care responsibilities, are an increasing proportion of our workforce. So we're, we're uh, combining problems here. The majority of family caregivers, 60%, were employed either full or part-time, placing competing demands on the caregiver. Of those working caregivers, more than 40% are ages 50 and older. So that includes me. <laughs> This age generally aligns with a higher employment status like middle or upper management or even higher levels for some. One recent analysis that I found shows more than 83% of people in their peak working years, which is ages 41 to 54, are at risk of taking care of their parents or parents-in-law. 
for those nearing retirement ages, 60 to 69 years, more than 45% of them face the risk of providing for parent elder care. At least 25% of workers 25 years and older are also providing unpaid care for parents or grandparents, putting them at a risk just as their careers are taking off. It's kind of a disaster hurtling towards us. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation today. Currently, most companies address only the situations that cause temporary interrupted career paths. As we enter the second decade of the 21st century, we will all have to understand the diverse demands on the lives of employees. Employees experience a wide range of caregiving throughout their careers. Taking an approach to overall employee wellness will be something that will pay off in the short and long term. Adopting a corporate structure that balances career and life paths is crucial right now, like 10 years ago or 20 years ago even. To understand this, companies will have to produce a comprehensive cost-benefit analysis that accounts for the hidden costs of care and the rewards of unlocking the full productive capacity of employees. Companies that want to increase productivity need to become caring companies to accomplish that goal. Even though I'm self-employed, I don't see a way forward for increasing American worker productivity without addressing what we're discussing and becoming a caring company. Becoming a caring company requires an investment in the services that will retain and attract key talent. It would focus on benefits that are important to the firm's most valuable employees, those that are critical to the competitive competitiveness of the organization. An analysis of care demographics will reveal how care needs shift as employees age and move along their career paths. The Harvard Business School Managing the Future of Work study found that even in employees as young as ages 25 to 35, 48%, almost half, anticipate the need for on-site elder care in addition to appropriate referral and support services. Now, if you haven't listened to the episode titled, It Takes a Village, that is about adult day programs that incorporate children, bookmark that one for your next listen because I think combining on-site daycare, on-site elder care are two great things that also help a corporation become a caring company. And it's going to become even more necessary as we move along because currently our population is adding over 10,000 more people age 65 every day. So every day, more than 10,000 people are turning 65. At a time when most are starting to consider their retirement years, many are finding that they are having to provide more and more daily care for a loved one in addition to supporting them financially. So for those of us who are not baby boomers, you think there's a lot of criticism that boomers are not retiring? Maybe this is one major reason. As your loved one progresses through their disease, the demands of your time, physical and mental strength, 
and financial resources increases more than most people have been able to plan for. According to the 2015 Retirement Confidence Survey, okay, so that's like five years old, more than 22% of retirees left the workforce earlier than planned to care for an ill spouse or other family member. Now, I bet you in the last four to five years, that percentage has increased. Other evidence suggests that nearly one-third of working women who also provide intensive caregiving increase their odds of retiring earlier than planned due to their caregiving responsibilities. Unfortunately, and not unsurprisingly, women caregivers fare worse in every economic measurement. With women at half the percentage of the population, that is a very serious thing we need to address. Women caregivers suffer a particularly higher level of economic hardship. Some of this is attributed to making alternative working arrangements, taking less demanding jobs than men, giving up work entirely, and losing job-related benefits. Employed caregivers are less likely to risk taking time off because they need the money and the benefits. Some seek additional jobs and others seek additional jobs strictly to pay for caregiving costs. So you can imagine all of this work, when are they taking care of their loved one? It does not take a lot of imagination to understand that the increased stress from all these additional demands is detrimental to all of us. Stress is terrible for our brains. We need to do what we can to fix that too. The risk to the person who is in need of care is also under more risk. I mean, it's just, it's a snowballing problem and we've got to do something about it. A frightening statistic that I frequently repeat is this, 65%, 65% of caregivers are hospitalized or die before the person they're caring for dies. And this is what happened to my family. Many family caregivers, likely most of us, underestimate exactly how much care their loved one actually needs. Additionally, cognitive decline can accelerate almost overnight, which also has happened to me, making a system that seems to be working no longer working without notice. All of these factors put family caregivers in a financially stressful situation with few options to exit unscathed. Now, seriously, is that the American dream? And for those of you that are not in the United States, I am sure it is not the dream for your nations either. When caring for an elder with Alzheimer's or dementia as the leading cause of, let's say that again, when caring for an elder, Alzheimer's or dementia is the leading cause of career disruption. Some of the latest statistics just on Alzheimer's look like this. In 2018, there were 16.3 million family caregivers who provided 18 and a half billion hours of unpaid care to people living with Alzheimer's at a value of $234 billion. Now I should have looked it up I have a feeling that $234 billion exceeds the economies of many states in the United States and probably some small countries too. So I want you guys to take one step back, two hands up that we have done so very much for our loved ones. 
and we all know how unappreciated we can be. So half of these 16.3 million caregivers have been providing care for four years or more. Thank you, that would be me too. Adding in direct costs, the value we provide is $524 billion. Now, I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure that's half a trillion, right? You guys can all email me if I'm wrong or tweet at me, send me a Facebook or Instagram message. Anyway, these figures are actually really low if you use an upper management pay scale to factor the value instead of what I believe is about $18 an hour to get to that number. So you can see that the economic value of family caregiving is huge. It's as big as the world's largest company and bigger than Medicaid and out-of-pocket spending on healthcare. So to put this into some figures that everybody can understand, the estimated $524 billion is more than total Medicaid spending in 2013, including both federal and state contributions. Now, as the entire world knows, the United States does not have universal health care. Medicaid is close, but it really doesn't cover a lot. So their spending is, it's large, but it's not as large as it could be. Just, just to fill in the non-American listening audience. So also the $524 billion is as much as the sales of the world's largest company, which is Walmart, who had $476.6 billion of sales in 2013 and 14. The $524 billion is as much as the sales of the four largest US technology companies combined. Combined. Apple, IBM, Hewlett Packard, and Microsoft. For those of you who didn't know, three of the four of those are in California, my home state. And the total sales combined for all four companies was 469 billion. So it's a lot less. And if you really want to boil it down to basic numbers, that $524 billion is about $1,500 for each of the 316 million people in the United States as of 2013, which was quite a while ago. Sadly, this figure is growing exponentially. The U.S. Census Bureau warns that by 2030, the number of people 65 and older will be higher than the number of people under the age of 18. In addition, many more women of all ages will be in the workforce. This means for employers, more of their higher titled and salaried employees will be impacted by increased caregiving demands. The older the employee and the higher the position attained, the higher the percentage of them were forced to leave the workforce due to caregiving. Now that's basically numbers we don't get to the higher levels of our careers until we're older and there's fewer of us. So it's kind of a numbers game. But seriously, if you're a corporation and your highest titled salary and salaried people, your most valuable people are leaving the workforce early because of caregiving, would think that you'd sit up and take notice. So compounding this problem, seniors burdened by debt will have to turn to children family, and friends for support and caregiving. If you leave your job early to take care of a parent or maybe a, a spouse that's significantly older than you, now you've hurt your financial situation 
and in turn, you have to turn to your family and your kids, and you've probably now hurt their financial situation, and it's just, you can see the snowball happening, and it's terrible, and we're going to fix it. This is why I'm having this conversation with you guys today. I don't think this is the future any of us want for ourselves, our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our neighbors, and more education or advanced technology or return to a simpler time will solve this problem. We cannot look backwards and say, if only, if only women weren't in the workforce, or if only this, or if only that, it's not going to work. We all have to work together, all of us together, to make the changes that will profoundly change and improve the lives of employees in our country, United States, and others. Because I know, despite current political situations, the United States is generally a place people look to for, you know, a goal, hope, etc. I'm sorry we're not living up to that right now, but we're going to get back there. And we're going to help the entire world solve this problem. And we're going to start with this conversation if that's where it takes. You know, and if all of this seems really overwhelming, just take a deep breath. <sighs> okay. All of the reasons that employees leave voluntarily are factors that companies can address. Okay, great. Are they going to want to? Yes, they will. Because the most significant reasons for leaving the workforce were the unaffordable cost of paid care help, the inability to find and retain trustworthy paid care, and the ability, excuse me, the inability to equally meet work and caregiving responsibilities. That's the three, top three in order. So to be a caring company, employers will need to adopt a culture that embraces all forms of employee caregiving. So from child care to older care. All of these reasons are areas where an employer can provide infrastructure or find innovative solutions extending support to employees facing temporary or chronic care situations. To find the right balance, employers should consider fostering a culture of employee wellness. Now this will require more effort than investment of money, so that's a good thing, right? Management will need to demonstrate that the organization welcomes openness about caregiving. Employees will have to be forthright on telling management what they're facing. And currently, neither of these things are happening regularly. One of the biggest problems with caregivers is we don't tell people what's going on. We just knuckle down and do the best we can and we don't shout out for the help that we desperately need every situation, not just work. So what does a culture of employee wellness look like? There should be a visible plan to help employees balance their personal and professional lives. This plan should incorporate onboarding as well as re-entry to the workforce. So if you took time off to take care of maybe your grandmother and she's passed, obviously you're going to want to get back in the workforce and we don't need companies saying, well, what have you been doing the last three years? Because they really probably don't want to hear the whole answer. And we know that caregivers do a lot. I mean, same as, you know, people that run households. We got to do the finances and the scheduling. And you guys all know what you do. So you know that there's a lot of value in it. We just determined that, you know, $524 billion a year in value and direct costs for caregiving. So... 
understanding that caregivers have a lot of value, even though they've been, quote, out of the work world for a while is important. The other thing that's important would be showcasing success stories, especially within the upper management, so that employees will feel confident that their caregiving tasks will not disrupt their career paths. So some first steps to consider would be, as a corporation, conduct a care census to gauge the organization's care demographic. Now, I am from the general Silicon Valley area, kind of on the very far outside. And I'm assuming that tech companies have younger people, so they have less elder care needs, but maybe they have more child care needs. And that would be an important thing for companies to know. Obviously, as their employees age, they're going to have more elder care needs, and it's important to know kind of where you are on that timeline. They're also going to want to ensure that, in, that current employees are more aware of the benefits that are offered. And this was actually really surprising to me, considering the only benefits I get are the ones I give myself, is that a lot of employees are allegedly unaware of many benefits that are offered, and many of them don't take advantage of the benefits that are offered. So, you know, like, you guys just knock that off. Find them, use them, go forth. An important way to make that happen would be to survey employees on the view, their views of the current benefits and identify those they find the most valuable. So if you're offering things that people aren't really using and they don't find them very valuable, get rid of those and add in something that they obviously will use and find very valuable. Add the additional benefits that address these unmet needs. That's, you know, another step. Then, of course, you got to monitor and utilize. <laughs> of course, you have to monitor the utilization of these benefits because if you add new ones and people don't use them, you're just spinning your wheels. You want to assess the impact of benefits related to employee expectations. You want to customize care benefits by adding those that are meaningful to employees. So this is all kind of find out where people are in their life path, what their caregiving needs are, again, from you know, ch bringing children into the world, either through birth or adoption, to taking care of somebody with a, an illness, cancer, which is maybe a shorter term than Alzheimer's, to elder care, the whole gamut. Seriously, something well beyond time to be looked at. Again, employers should develop strategies that maximize the productivity of employees by helping them achieve a work-life balance. Now, coming up, I have a conversation with somebody from an organization that has fostered the culture of employee wellness for a couple of decades. So you're going to hear more about how that works. I'm not going to get into super details on that just yet. But, may, you know, helping them achieve a work-life balance, I know, that might sound like woo-woo kind of, you know, just silliness. It's not, it's not a liberal, give me free stuff kind of idea. You'll find that out in a minute. This, of course, is not super easy, but it's not insurmountable either. In addition to listening and learning to anticipate an employee's caregiving duties, customizing benefits based on skills and positions most valuable to the company is crucial. Losing high-value employees in an extraordinarily tight labor market is extremely costly to an employer. 
there you go. There's the reason they, they need to pay attention. Some of the guidelines suggested in the study are as follows. Adopt a policy valuing caregiver employees based on job performance rather than holding them to outdated assumptions that they are not committed to their job. This is one of the main reasons that many employees don't admit to what is happening for fear of being marginalized. Allow workplace flexibility, which provides alternate work arrangements, flex time, compressed work weeks, fewer hours for part of the year, and telecommuting. And I'm sure there's companies out there that can come up with some interesting combination of all of those and really do themselves and their employees huge benefit. Now for hourly employees on a more strict schedule, we're gonna have to do away with the no fault absenteeism policies that provide termination based on the number of tardies or absences, no matter the reason. For those of us that have had to get somebody living with Alzheimer's into the car and to the doctor, we know we can be really early on time or really late. And there is absolutely no rhyme or reason to how that's gonna happen. So we just need to be way more understanding and work with the situations we have because there is no perfect employee. We also should have provide education and training to supervisors and manager, management about having caregivers on the job and what, what, let me say this again. It's important to provide education and training to supervisors and managers about having caregivers on the job and what constitutes caregiver discrimination. Being self-employed, I didn't even know that was a thing. Offer elder care support, resources and referral services to caregiving employees. I'm sure you guys all know how tremendously helpful this could be. And most family caregivers end up in their situation after an emergency, which you all know happened to me. So very little research or planning has been done. Now, my dad did good on the financial planning, crappy on the rest of it. So I can only imagine the trauma to my career if I had been employed by somebody other than myself. Being able to have a familiar place to learn what they need to learn would reduce stress. That's always important. Reduce the time necessary for the research, okay, which we all know they're going to do on the job, and be greatly appreciated once the crisis has passed. So if you help somebody get through a really awful time in their life, they're going to be really grateful, and they're probably going to be as much better, which I know is terrible grammar, as they can be, just because you've been appreciative and understanding in their time of need. Employers will benefit from this because they'll have better worker retention, improved productivity, lower stress, improved morale, and physical health among workers. I mean, like, why would you not want that? There's no sense in turning and burning good employees and try to train somebody else. Just, I know that. So it's important to say it because I think once people, sometimes we need to hear something because it's like, duh, thank you for pointing out the obvious. I've had that happen to me a lot on this podcast. So the last step that's been highly suggested by this study from Harvard is to implement recruitment practices for persons with elder care responsibilities so that this person can target the hiring of skilled caregiver 
individuals who are looking to reenter the job market after caring. Now we all have our own unique skills and we all handle the caregiving by utilizing those unique skills. I, there's gotta be hundreds of jobs that we all qualify for as long as somebody is looking through it from that perspective and not just looking at your resume or your CV and looking at the jobs that you've had because caregiving encompasses everything. Having an on-site person who is familiar with everything a caregiver is going through would be fantastic and might even encourage someone to continue their employment so that they would have continued access to the emotional support and, of course, the financial well-being. A 2011 Gallup poll suggests that employers provide the following. An employee assistance plan to promote discussion about emotional distress experienced by the working caregiver. Access to health counselors or an ask a nurse for information on the care receiver's condition. Access to counselors or others to make referrals and give advice about assisted living or nursing homes, adult day programs, and other services available to them. Now, like I said, coming up, talking to a person that, who works in an organization that does all of that. And I think you guys are going to find out that it is not impossible or expensive or any of the other negative thoughts that might pop into your head about a company becoming a caring company. And I, I think you're going to find it interesting. It's my neighbor, and he's, he's really fun to talk to. So companies can do really well, possibly even excel, by understanding that managing the care crisis in our nation will require collaborating with and strengthening the care systems that currently exist. So we're not trying to recreate the wheel here, gang. We don't have time for that. The AARP has highlighted the need for elder care support for employees. Okay, I don't think they're a Slack group, so we should probably pay attention. Other possible collaborations include the Care Action Network, which provides a toolkit on the full spectrum of care issues throughout an employee's life. So not just elder care. So there you go, roadmap right there, just asking for you to pick it up. Also, the Family Caregiver Alliance, the National Alliance for Caregiving, and of course my favorite, the Alzheimer's Association, are all working on specific mandates to help alleviate the care needs of Americans. By integrating such efforts through dialogue and exchange of data, caring companies can help reduce the fragmentation in the care economy, they can encourage innovative technologies and entrepreneurial business models. Hey, that means potential new money, right? And we can all join together to advocate for better policies. Caring companies can serve two overarching goals, becoming more productive and competitive while also helping their employees enjoy less stressful, more productive lives. Isn't that a goal we should all strive for? It's not all about money, but when we can do the right thing and make more money, woohoo! I'm all for that because I've always been an entrepreneur and I'm an advocate for people like us, which is why I have this podcast. Okay, you're still with me. That's fantastic. Up next is my first conversation with an HR professional who is employed by a small city municipality's government administration. 
So with me right now is Sakari Bashir. She is a Rotarian in our my <laughs> our Rotary Club here in town. And she's also been an HR professional for what did you say? Twenty almost twenty-eight years? Yes. Long time. So I wanted to get a second perspective on becoming a caring organization since the other guest that you'll hear from talked about their, they are a caring organization and I wanted to get somebody else's opinion. So thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So we have a rapidly aging population. I don't know if you've read the statistic that every day 10,000 or more people turn 65. Wow. Yeah, it's like, yipe. <laughs> um, and that obviously means we have an aging workforce. And caregiving disproportionately affects um, companies. It, it affects the higher level, higher paid, more experienced um, employees. Because it's just a, a function of statistics. The older we get, the more likely we are to care for people. And I think it is, it's a high percentage, like half to 60% of caregivers are a sandwich generation. Actually, 40% of caregiving employees are a sandwich generation. So they're taking care of elders and kids, which thankfully is not, not my, I'm not in that percentage. <laughs> so one of the things that I, that the research that I found is, you know, how I always thought corporations or organizations would be reluctant to embrace caregivers and, and offer help because in my world, offering help and support means money. And in my research, I found that it's not so much a function of organizations spending money, but it's, it's more like spending resources, like making sure that employees know what is offered in their benefits, which being self-employed, I have no clue what even people's benefits are like anymore. So the, the organization that you work for currently, do they have anything that helps people with like elder care, um, like an ask a nurse program or resources? Like, you know, that you can go to the HR office and say, oh my gosh, I need to find my mama an adult day program. Can you help me? So very, very, very good question. Um, we actually have a program, which is we refer to as EAP, which is an employee assistance program. And it expands when that program first started, it really was about counseling for the employee and when they were having issues there. But that program has expanded now because there is definitely a need for things such as financial um, assistance, elderly um, care, um, assistance. There's also uh, support that you can get for like for younger kids if you need help with finding daycare providers and that sort of thing. So that program has been expand, expanded um, a lot. So we definitely help or, or provide that information to the employees and let them know that the EAP is something that the city pays for on behalf of the employee and it's offered to all of our regular uh, employees here at the city. Will that be salary and, and hourly or just salary employees? It is both salary and hourly. So anyone that's a regular in a career position, so this is not for like our temps or seasonal employees, but all of our regular employees. That's awesome. See, this is, I just assumed, you know, my little self-employed person here, I just assumed that 
companies are like, yep, you're on your own. <laughs> so I'm very happy that that is not the case because as I mentioned, doing this research, I, I found that corporations and organizations benefit by doing all this because of employee retention and recruitment, which, you know, <clears throat> it's hard to retain myself. I'm a one woman band here. So, <laughs> you know, it either gets done or it doesn't. Um, but it, you know, I have challenges like we were talking offline. It's been a, a challenging week mm-hmm. with my mom and it puts yeah. a lot of pressure on getting stuff done and that stress is not fun. So the counseling is really important and that was a great place to start because, you know, sometimes you just, you have a week like I've had and you want to, you need to, need to talk to somebody and I talked to the hairdresser today. So <laughs> I left there going, wow, that was an earful she got today. <laughs> Yeah. So one of the um, part of the research I found was some potential solutions, you know, like an on-site or near-site elder care. Mm. And I'm not sure if you're aware of the adult day program that's here in town that in, actually incorporates the kids. So in my non-regulatory um, brain, I would think that if a company or organization had an on-site or near-site daycare, that they could probably do, I know there's a lot of hoops to jump through with the state to be licensed to do the elder care. But when you combine the two, the the children benefit from the attention they get from the seniors. The seniors benefit from, especially ones that aren't as far along as my mom, they benefit from helping, you know, just reading to kids. Like, even if they're, they can't read a, a novel that they maybe could have read two or three years ago, reading a children's book is easier and that might be something they could still do. So it benefits the seniors, it benefits the children, and it shouldn't really be a huge surprise that it benefits the sandwich person in the middle, the employee, mm-hmm. because everybody's kind of getting happy while they're working. They're working and feeling, you know, productive and prosperous and, you know, fulfilled and their family members are taken care of. So I don't know that the city has on-site daycare. No, that's, um, we actually don't, but just listening to what you just shared is, it sounds like a really creative solution of bringing, you know, multiple generations together because people have a need of feeling of belonging. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the sandwich person that's in the middle and, you know, a lot of times it's like you, you, when you're at work, you can't focus on the work because you're worrying about the kids or you're working about, you're, you know, worried about your, your elderly parent. And if you know that they're somewhere and they're being uh, fulfilled and they're close enough to you so that you can check on them or visit, then you can spend more time focusing and, and being, you know, present at work. We call it presenteeism mm-hmm. because a lot of times if we're, you can be physically at work but your brain's not here because you're focused on your loved ones. And if you know that they're being cared for, then that definitely can change and feel like your, like your organization really cares while they've done this for, you know, for me and for my, you know, my family. So that it sounds, it's very creative. Um, but it's a long way of saying that we don't have anything here and I haven't, there really hasn't been any discussions that I'm aware of, of having a program like that. One of the reasons I actually don't remember what prompted this idea for this episode. I get an idea 
and I run with it. And this one has run away with me, which has been interesting. And that happens. Yeah. And it's, it's been all good. Cause I never even heard the term um, presenteeism until I started doing the research and that comes up a lot. Oh, um, yes. You know, it, having caregivers support programs in place through your organization helps with preventing absenteeism and it helps presentee. That's an even hard word to say. <laughs> and I'm like, what the heck is that? And I read a little further and, you know, excuse me. So it was, it, it was, I've learned a lot, but the whole point was, is to open up a dialogue and say, Hey, you know, here's some things I've learned and now you've learned them and other people, you know, hopefully it's to generate ideas and discussions. And hopefully some people will go, Hey, this is something I can bring to this X person and, and maybe they can make it happen in their area or somebody will hear this and, and make a change that'll help their corporation, their organization, their, their community. Because, you know, mm -hmm. as, as Rotarians, we're all about community. Yes. So I can see the city of Brentwood working with the Celebration Center for on-site elder care and daycare for children. <laughs> That'll, that could be an interesting combination. Because I know that they've struggled to grow the elder care after being told, we need this, we need this, we need this. They jump through all the hoops with the state to do it. And then it's like... Hello, we did it. Where are you? <laughs> mm -hmm. So one of the other things that I found, let's see. So um, I don't understand because like I said, I'm self-employed is one of the suggestions was a subsidy for elder care services. I don't know how subsidies work with paychecks. Can you explain that one to me? Yeah, I, for a subsidy, I'm not, I don't, I'm not familiar with okay. how we, we haven't done anything like that. So they didn't explain that one to me. This study, I read two of them. One of them is 10 years old. And I'm okay. pretty sure they're working on updating it. it. was through, part of it was through the Family Caregiver Alliance. And I called them and I'm like, do you guys have something that's a little more current? Because, you know, this is like 10 years old. Yeah. And they put me in touch with the Harvard um, University's, um, shoot, it's, it's the uh, Future of Work study, I believe is what it's called. And it was it was a little dry, but it was a little fascinating. So <laughs> I boiled that down to stuff that I hope is a little less dry. That's the first part of this podcast episode. One of the things that the study found also is that 59% of the employers that were interviewed for the study agreed that, the, they, that there's the pervasive attitude that caregivers are less committed to their careers, which obviously is because they're pulled in multiple directions yeah. and you know you've got that presenteeism I think I've got that one right yeah you know, you're there but you're not there and mm -hmm. that's kind of a I think that's a pretty high number and then 55 percent agree that caregiving employees progress slower in their careers even if their input is the same so I personally have no idea how we change that other than having these kind of conversations mm -hmm. um and then let's see, the last statistic was 52% of employers that were surveyed agree that the culture of their organization is not as supportive as it could be, which I found that one a little less interesting, mostly because there's always something we could do better. You could be absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could be perfect, but that's not ever going to happen. So <laughs> have you ever experienced an employee like myself who has a family with Alzheimer's that's like 
gets a call and says, oh, mom fell and we took her to the ER and now you're like, ah, there goes my schedule. Yes. So uh, I am, I've had employees at this organization and other organizations. So in addition to the EAP program, there's also the, you probably heard of this too, but the Family Medical Leave Act. So that allows 12 weeks for employees who have met the criteria to be off work to care for their loved ones. They don't have to take the 12 weeks all the um, consecutively, it could be intermittent. For instance, maybe they just need, uh, you know, 10 hours a week or something like that versus every single day, eight hours a day. So that helps a little bit too. That protects, that's a job protection. So that's a federal um, program that, again, protects the job. So that allows them time to go off, care for parents and uh, loved ones and, you know, get them to their appointments or whatever that they may, you know, whatever attention that they may be, need. So that that helps as well to kind of off, offset some of that. Um, there's also um, having flex schedules. So an employee is going to their manager or director or whoever they report to, to say, Hey, these are, this is what's going on with me. And I really want to, uh, you know, allow myself the time and the flexibility to not only be here at work, but also to care for my loved one. And can we come up with a work schedule that's going to benefit the the organization as well as me? So just really having the, you know, being open to having those conversations with your supervisors and sharing that information so that they too can be a part of the solution versus you're late for work. I don't know what's going on. And, you know, sometimes we give it, we're very private. I'm a private person. So I understand that we just have to balance that what's private and also how do we get assistance? Because if we remain private, then we're kind of suffering in silence and we're trying to navigate through something that's totally unfamiliar to us because, I mean, how many times do you have to care for your parents. I mean, you have, you have two parents and <laughs> you don't get, you know, 25 parents. So it's like that you just, you need that help. And I think that's just people being open to having those conversations and not afraid to reach out, even talking to their own doctors, their primary care doctors. So sometimes through your medical plans, they have resources, they have groups, they have um, classes and workshops and other things that may be available. Bottom line is to get the resources um, out there, make people aware of what those resources are and to try to help them so that they can navigate through these difficult times with their loved ones. One of the things that I do know, and you touched on it perfectly, is that people like myself, caregivers, don't go to their employer and say, yikes, this is what I'm going through. Be you know, partly I would assume because like you said, people are private. I know people are afraid that it will negatively affect their career, which is probably true, even though people would not want to admit that. It's just, we have that bias, obviously. 59% of employers think that caregivers are less dedicated to their career because they're torn in different directions. And I had a question on the Family Medical Leave Act because mm -hmm. I have never been, been able to use that. Is that 12 weeks annually? It is, but you have to have, there's certain criteria. So you have to have um, you have to be an employer with a certain number of employees. You have to have meet the criteria, which is working 12, I'm, I'm going off of memory, 1,250 hours in the previous year, have been at your employer 
for at least a year. So there's different, you know, there's criteria that somebody must meet in order to have that available to them. Because I know, as regular listeners know, that we've been dealing with this with my mom for like 20 years. Now, obviously, I haven't been or she hasn't needed a lot of assistance for 20 years. I mean, it progresses, you know, most people understand that. And so I, I don't know at that 12 weeks would be enough, especially if like I, my, you know, I've repeatedly said that we're very blessed because my mom has the funds to be in a very good memory care residence, but a lot of people run out of money. My neighbor who is on the other part of this podcast episode asked me one night, we were walking the dogs and he said, well, how do people pay for, you know, memory care like your mom is in? And I said, most people sell mom's house and pray to God she dies before they run out of money. And where my mom has lived, I have seen several people run out of money before mm-hmm. mom's gone. Wow. And so now you've got somebody with severe needs, you know, like mm-hmm. with my mom at this point needs her, her daily activities, dressing, eating, showering, all of that stuff needs serious help and she hates it and she fights it which is really not fun and or you have somebody who's bedridden or nonverbal, and now you have to move them into your house so it's like you know I'm trying to find a solution that works for people who don't have a house to sell or rent out like mm-hmm. we've done and can you know there's a lot of people and this is what I've also found in the research for this episode is that a lot of people they they have to leave work, you know, they retire early because they have to take care of their spouse or a parent. God forbid, some of them have to take care of both. And now they've impacted their finances because you retire early, obviously, you have less social security, you have less of your retirement benefits. This also impacts women a lot more because mm-hmm. women obviously are predominantly the caregivers of the of our world. And with the aging population and fewer and fewer paid caregivers to take care of people like my mom, I, d- I just see this problem of there's not going to be enough people to do the work and take care of these elders that we're getting 10,000 more a day. It's like the research was actually a little scary. <laughs> yes. You know, and I, it's, I'm just one little podcaster working all by myself <laughs> trying to help affect change in the world. Yeah, but the thing is, is like it, it starts, you know, you could be the one, you could be the voice that is going to make the difference. Uh, it doesn't always have to take a lot of people to initially get the word out there and get the realization. And, you know, in the age now that we're in of social media, you know, it could be one pa- podcast, you share it with someone else and, you know, it can go viral like overnight. And that would be phenomenal, of course, right? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the bottom line is, I think you're doing your 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 share and you're doing your part, Jennifer, is just getting the word and getting the information out there and saying, hey, we've got, we're like disproportionately um, disadvantaged as a care, as a caregiver and as a caretaker. It's like, okay, and we're already limited too on resources for what um, our elderly get. So it's like, there's a need. Can we, can we really like take a look at this and and step in? And, you know, the hope is always that the state, you know, will, will step in and do something. And then they tell us, you know, their resources are, are limited. So 
all we can do is, is do our best to get the information out there. You could help someone else um, or someone can hear about your podcast and say, hey, guess what? I have this valuable resource that I think would be great for you and for your mom because I was just able to use this with my parents and it helped me. So I really believe that you're on the right track. I know it's a lot and you're like, oh my gosh, this is this is too much. But I, I really have, I, I can appreciate you doing this because I think it will at least get some information out there and may get you some, you know, some more resources or uh, to information out there to others who may also be going through this and experiencing the same thing that you are. Unfortunately, we're at the very beginning of a very large tsunami of people like me that will be taking care of, you know, working. I just turned 53 like six weeks ago. And actually when this podcast comes out, it'll be two months. And my mom, it will be 77 right before this podcast comes out. And, you know, thankfully my daughter is 28. So I don't have to worry about her too much, a little bit, but she's on her own doing well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as I said, we're very blessed. Mom's got the money to be where she's at. I don't think we'll ever run out of money. We'd have to work really hard to run out of money on her or she has to live another 20 or 30 years, which God forbid. Um, but there's, you know, like I said, 10,000 plus people are turning 65 every day. I'm a Gen Xer. There aren't that very many of us. Half the time, they don't even remember we're around. And <laughs> more and more millennials are taking care of parents or grandparents Yes. at the beginnings of their careers. You know, they're trying to figure out how to progress in their careers, progress in relationships. You know, at least with me, it's like, you know, I've had the husband for a long time. I don't have to worry about that. You know, the career, this one's new, so that's different. But, you know, I'm not I'm not a day-to-day person with mom, taking care of mom, so I'm blessed that way. But, yeah, there's a, just this huge tsunami that's coming. And I, after doing this research, I'm like, I'm a little bit afraid that, you know, our, our, our government likes to talk about, you know, economic growth, economic growth. This could mm-hmm. kill economic growth for a long time. And we don't want that. And we want to be a prosperous nation and we want to take really good care of our elders. And we want the millennials and the Gen Z peoples to prosper. You know, we want everybody to prosper, but we, so we have to talk about this because this could really upend progress when that's scary. (laughs) I'm glad I'm at the beginning of this problem and not the, not the end. So you've been very kind with your time today. I don't want to take up too much more time, but if you had like a magic wand and you could (laughs) fix, you could, you could create a fix for this problem other than making Alzheimer's go away, which I'm an advocate. I'm working with the government to help that. Um, You have any ideas of your own on things that maybe, you know, big corporations should maybe consider looking at? I would say for me, I think they corporations have started and I think they're just kind of on the cusp of what they can do. And I think they really need to spend time expanding uh, as resources that are available to the caregivers, as well as resources available to the elderly population. I think we have it in us to already do, which just tapping into it and making it happen. So, t- so many times we, it's like, it's not anything new. It's not to reinvent or recreate anything. It's like, it's already there. We just need to access it. And I think expound on it. 
I agree with that. It's not necessarily, it's, um, you know, here I am doing my little bit and you're over here doing your little bit. And by coming together, maybe we've, maybe we've ignited something that will grow into something that people, like you said, people will be like, hey, I have an idea. I have a solution, blah, 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 blah. That was yes. kind of the whole point for this. And I was at a podcasting conference in October and I realized, huh, I didn't realize that uh, podcasters needed to be, um, oh, shoot, <laughs> the word just slipped out of my mind, um, investigative reporters. And so <laughs> I started thinking, okay, yeah. well, I should add these kind of episodes to what I already do. And so I have spent a lot of time researching this. Yes, you, I can tell you have. It's, yeah, you, I mean, you have to know what you're talking about, and it helps you to formulate your questions. That's too. true. Most of my episodes are talking to other people about their experiences, and I talk to a lot of authors, so that's okay. that's easier, but this was very interesting, and I really hope that our conversation and my conversation with my neighbor Steve will help will help someone somewhere out there, and I appreciate yes. your time this afternoon. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I think this is a start. So I, I believe it will make a difference. I know this is audio medium, but did you catch the light bulb that went on when I was talking about combining elder daycare and child daycare in one place? That's the point of this episode was to generate thoughts and ideas. And I think I succeeded with just that one conversation. But up next is my conversation with my neighbor, who is with the Lawrence Livermore Labs. Now he's speaking from his own perspective, not as a representative. And I think you'll find that it is very doable to have a culture of employee wellness and helping employees balance their job responsibilities with their caregiving responsibilities. With me to discuss more of creating a caregiving culture in our corporations is my neighbor, Stephen Harris. He is the Environmental Safety and Health Operations Manager for Lawrence Livermore Laboratories here in Northern California. So thanks for joining me, Steve. Yeah, happy to be here, Jennifer. Thank Always. you so much. So we've been chatting offline um, about, well, let me back up a step. Tell me about Lawrence Livermore. I did read a lot of the reviews on Glassdoor about how fantastic you guys are, so I might have to <laughs> I might have to apply someplace there. Um, but we've had conversations about Lawrence Livermore providing a lot of employee health services and not just like physical health. So if maybe you can explain some of the benefits that the lab offers because I think it's fairly unique. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that part. Yeah, and and I'm speaking I'm speaking for myself, not on behalf of the laboratory. I just want to be clear about that. Um, but uh, but I do have some responsibilities, and I have about 30 years of experience as an employee at, at Lawrence Livermore. So I'll, I'll speak from that um, that perspective. Um, we have we're very fortunate at the laboratory to have our own health services department, and the focus of that department is. Uh, primarily, but not limited to occupational uh, medical services. So things like um, medical um, uh, qualifications or certification programs, um, 
but but really the um, the health services department provides much more in the way of employee wellness um, programs and services, and I think that's where you know you and I have had this conversation over over a period of several months about the kind of the nature of those services and how fortunate we are to be able to have them at the lab. Um, and those include things like um, uh, cholesterol monitoring, um, um, heart rate, uh, heart, heart functioning um, uh, assessments, um, flexibility type uh, programs, um, uh, dietary support um, and challenges that we have uh, for employees, um, sleep, um, sleep management, headache management, um, and out of our health services department, um, we also um, support and sponsor a caregivers um, a group at the laboratory, uh, recognizing that as a large employer, we, we have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 6,500 uh, to 6,700 employees, something in that realm. Um, with a variety of needs, obviously, and and uh, a whole demographic at the laboratory where we have large numbers of relatively senior, you know, senior professionals um, who have been at the lab for a long time. And I've actually attended one of those seminars. They're they're sort of brown bag lunchtime seminars that are put on by the caregivers group, and uh, they uh, will frequently have outside speakers come in and and talk to specific topics in that area of concern. And I, I believe they're fairly well, well attended. Um, and I was impressed, actually. Um, a, a lot of emphasis on available resources, um, trying to help employees um, striving to balance um, their work life, um, you know, experiences, <laughs> right? Um, who may have very significant demands uh, personally at home with caring for, um, you know, elderly uh, parents or perhaps children with special needs, the whole, the whole spectrum, right, uh, of, of what caregivers do in, in our society. Um, so anyways, very broad-based and focused on employee wellness. And that's important. Now, I've been self-employed forever, as you know. Is this common for larger corporations? Or I guess you guys are a government entity, I guess. But is this common or is this culture that the lab has developed over the years kind of unique? Yeah, I, I, I think that within certainly the national lab community, so we have, we have a, a, a number of sister laboratories scattered across the country. I, I don't know all the details, but I get a sense that these are fairly common programs. Uh, within within like national labs. Yeah, the national labs. Some, some of them are, you know, very large employers. Some of them are a bit smaller. Uh, but I know just from some of the interactions that I've had within that community um, uh, that there's a lot of benchmarking that goes on um, between um, the various uh, laboratories as to which services are provided, um, sort of uh, trends, uh, emerging needs, and so forth, um, and then also what what is most effective. Um, and in our laboratory, uh, as I mentioned, the demographic uh, up 
to the recent times has been that we've had an aging population. And I think probably five years ago, the average age of laboratory employees was somewhere in the in the realm of 52 years old. Now that has changed significantly in the last five years because we've been recruiting a, uh, a lot of young people, young scientists and engineers to come in. Um, so I think there has been a significant shift um, and a reduction in that average age, um, which brings up another point that you and I have talked about, which is that um, the question, are we properly tailoring our, our uh, employee wellness programs and services to the various elements of, of um, the demographics of the workforce, right? Uh, because young families um, have, you know, much different needs than, um, you know, than empty nesters, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I think that's one of the challenges, and one of my, what some of the research that I've been conducting has shown that employers of all sizes, which is challenge to begin with, need to provide benefits that are that they are what the employees need across their lifespan. Because mm-hmm. without that, many higher level management and upper middle management, again, self-employed. So <laughs> yeah. I'm all the management. So <laughs> um, they have a tendency to, you know, like they get probably two thirds or, you know, they get predominantly through their career. They're maybe looking at, you know, potentially retiring in a few years, a parent has an emergency and all of a sudden you realize, holy Toledo, they need a lot more daily care. And you're like, well, I guess I need to retire early, which, you know, you've been contemplating your retirement future. And so you know what all those calculations go into that and you retire early, you've got now are going to get less social security, less retirement benefits. And you've, you've now kind of hobbled your financial well-being to take care of a parent and so they're they're seeing like a brain drain of upper management and c-level managers because of the elder care issue and so Mm -hmm. they're saying they're thinking that corporations need to it's it's good to focus on maternity leave paternity leave adoption leave um, but they also need to look at you know elder care leave and one of the things the list of benefits that I was just looking at before we jumped online here was, you know, a lot of companies have childcare subsidies, but now they're also talking about, and I was surprised at how important elder care subsidies were to the average employee that was part of the research because Hmm. I I know how important it is, but you know, like I said, I'm self-employed, so I get no benefits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Have you ever heard of a company providing elder care um, subsidies? No, I, I haven't. And, it, you know, as a government contractor facility, contractor managed, government owned, um, you know, we have very, um, very strict um, accountability for federal tax dollars, right? And so um, I wouldn't expect a federal contractor to be able to do that, but I could be wrong too. Um, I, as far as I know, I've never heard it discussed. Um, something that uh, came to mind while you were talking, though, was in the realm of childcare, which is similar, right? Similar idea. Um, the laboratory um, uh, does support a childcare center. It's 
it's off property at a, at a different location, and they still charge for the, the childcare um, there. Uh, but I know recently it went through, I believe, a renovation slash expansion, um, recognizing, uh, I, I think, that we have a lot more younger people starting um, you know, to work at the laboratory and they're, you know, they're beginning their families and all that. And I think the point that you and I agree on is that these types of, uh, benefits or inducements, um, are an important employee retention and recruitment tool. That's exactly what my research has shown me. And when you said that they expanded the childcare, I thought you were going to say, that they are now incorporating adult day programs, which for lack of a better term is an adult daycare. Yeah. Nobody likes that term. And I don't know if you're aware, but there is an adult day program here in town that incorporates seniors and children. So they bring over the preschool kids in the morning and the school age kids come over later in the afternoon. And what's fascinating is so you've got the seniors is one generation, and then you've got the little kids who are essentially a third generation. The benefit that the sandwich generation gets from the interaction of the elders and the kids yeah. is amazing. Because it's oh, like Oh yeah, that's that's really creative, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a really fantastic program. And so I'm thinking that it's something that they could easily do any place that has employer, I don't know, was it sponsored to the right word? I mean, you'd still pay for it. Uh huh. You know, just like they pay for the kids, you would pay for your parent or your spouse or whoever. And I could see that being a huge benefit. So I think that's something that corporations need to consider. Yeah. Um, What kind of, I'm aware we're only, we're only, um, well, I guess, so we, we have the caregiver support group. Uh, the laboratory. We also, which I failed to mention earlier, is one of the services provided um, through uh, through our health services department. We have an employee assistance program. So um, that's the that's the side of of the organization that helps employees with um, emotional um, or or relationship issues, which uh, of course can be related to the stresses and. Um, and challenges of caring for for an elder, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that and that particular program also has access, um, well, both to internal psychologists uh, for on-site appointments, and then also outside referral to um, to other uh, additional resources. Let's see, that's fantastic! I swear. <laughs> I'm not a scientist, but maybe I need to go get a janitor's <laughs> job or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you guys in the um in the research I did, they had some best practices for removing barriers to equal employment and providing education and training was part of it, which you guys do. Um one of the things they talk about is workplace flexibility. Mm-hmm. And you guys don't have hourly employees, do you? We do. Oh, you do? Okay. Are yes. they more on a stricter schedule than the other, the salaried um, employees? When I, when I was reading about that a little bit myself, the way I interpreted that is the following. Um, hourly or what we call non-exempt uh, employees um, fall under very specific provisions of state labor law. 
um, that are set up to protect hourly workers uh, and, and ensure that when they work more than their 40 hours a week, for example, uh, within state law, they're, they're, they're afforded the overtime pay. Okay. As, as opposed to salaried workers, which we have, of course, as well, uh, which are exempt, exempt in the context of, you know, we can, we can work um, more than 40 hours. We're just, we're, we're still paid the same salary. Right. Yeah. I guess in the research that they were talking, maybe the hourly is more uh, people that work restaurants, retail, that kind of thing where flexibility is more challenging. Um, and I know that when you were taking care of your mom, Steve, Steve and I went through some rough family stuff at about the same time and his mom passed away from cancer but you were kind of back and forth between California and Texas taking care of her. Did you bring work with you to deal with? How did, how was the flexibility afforded for you other than you've been there forever? And I think you must have more vacation than, than you can use most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Working on that. <laughs> you guys are always going somewhere. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've been very fortunate um, throughout my um, time at the laboratory. So uh, just getting back to your question of the hourly versus salaried. So what I was really trying to work uh, towards is uh, is a statement that as an employer, any employer in the state of California anyway, um, there are more um, options, more flexibility afforded to um, to salaried workers uh, in, in terms of flexible um, uh, flexibility just in general. It doesn't mean that there aren't options for hourly employees um, to be able to, to assist them and support them in caring for a family member or loved one. Um, but it's, it's from a legal standpoint, from an employer perspective, it's easier to manage with a salaried worker. And I've been very fortunate uh, in my career at the laboratory to be afforded that flexibility. So, yes, I, I would take work with me. Um, I would, uh, work from emails from my laptop and so forth. Um, and, um, and my employer was supportive of that, um, for a temporary period of time. In addition, uh, we do have, um, and it's, it's, it's driven by business need too. I mean, the, the, the work needs to be done and the employee needs to be accountable for their time, of course, but, but uh, we have some employees on telecommuting agreements. Um, we, uh, I, I have a few people in my organization who actually work from home um, approximately two days a week. I've had an employee because not so much for caregiving, although indirectly they were caregiving with their husband who has significant health issues, but more uh, I think more directly because they live in the mountains and there was a long commute involved mm. uh, for that employee. Um, we allowed that employee to go to a 410 work schedule um, so that um, they could, you know, optimize their, their commute schedule with their work schedule and still, you know, still get the job done. Um, we allow employees to go part-time uh, again, consistent with business need. That one's a little bit more challenging as a manager, I would say, because um, of the way that staffing and budgeting are done in a large organization like ours, 
it's um, it's challenging, I would say, as a manager to kind of orchestrate the part-time work thing. But certainly for temporary periods of time, uh, that's something we, we, we consider uh, for an employee who's in a caregiving situation. Now, do you guys have any job sharing? Because I was surprised to see that term come up in the research. I haven't heard job sharing in, I don't know, 20 years or more. Yeah, I think we, um, I think we have done some of that, to be honest. I, I've never had it um, uh, experienced it directly in my organization, uh, but I've heard references to it, uh, certainly at the laboratory. And um, I think the other thing I would um, uh, reference is that, uh, you know, sometimes individuals who are in the difficult um, situation, you know, personal situation, either because they've taken so much time off to care for a loved one, or they themselves have medical or health issues where they've been away for a period of time uh, and are running short on, you know, authorized leave like vacation and sick leave. Um, we have a program where uh, fellow employees can donate their sick leave um, to, um, you know, to the, their fellow employee, their colleague. Which is fantastic. Uh, and it, and it's a very orchestrated, it's an orchestrated transaction. It has to meet certain requirements and so forth. But but the opportunity to do that is provided. And like I said, that's that's beautiful. And I love that. And I hope more companies do that. But when you're talking about people like me, and you you met my you've met my mom, mm-hmm. unfortunately with Alzheimer's or dementia, the caregiving demands increase and increase and increase and frequently you can wake up one day and all of a sudden their needs have now become larger i mean there's almost no predictability yeah which means you know and i think you know and listeners know that we've been dealing with this for about 20 years Mm -hmm. (laughs) and as of a year ago Mom's neurologist told me, unless something else happens, like she gets pneumonia or some other disease, my mom could have lived, could live another 10 years. So that would put her at 2029. I shudder. <laughs> For those people who are not watching the YouTube video, I just rolled my eyes and shook my head because the thought of that just, it Over, exhausts me. Overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And it, it gets to the, like, she needs 24-hour care and supervision. She needs somebody to shower her, to help her dress. Um, she's starting to lose the, the not the ability to use a fork, a spoon, but she, it's, it's a more of a struggle. It's kind of equivalent to when toddlers are you, learning to, the fine motor skills to use utensils. Mm -hmm. She's losing that. So we're going to be going to finger food probably within the next year or so. It should be Mm -hmm. interesting to see. So the, the biggest challenge that I see is that, you know, paid family leave, the family leave act, people donating their sick time and their vacation time to you. You could become a complete, you know, well of need and people would finally be like, I can't deal with that girl anymore. It's just her mom just got to go or something. I don't, you, you have, since you're, you're in this organization and you deal with some of this stuff, how do you see a, a company or an organization like you guys 
helping people like me, uh, other than the fact that I'm self-employed and, and I'm not part of your organization, how would you help a caregiver like me who maybe brings in somebody part-time to help while I'm at work deal with all of the struggles of, you know, now my mom, like say maybe I have somebody eight hours a day. Now I need somebody 12 or 16. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's times I visit mom and the next day, I just, I feel like Eeyore with the little black cloud hanging over my head. And it's, you know, obviously I think they call that um, presenteeism where you're present at work physically, but not necessarily a hundred percent mentally. And that of course, obviously affects your productivity and with the aging population, because as of 2020, the average, let's see, oh, I should have brought the statistic in here with me, but the majority of the country will be age 55 and older. In 2020? Yep. <laughs> well, it's a club now, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not part of that club because I'm only 53. <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging out the door going, hey, looks interesting in there. <laughs> I was... I was shocked to read that, I guess, because I expected that to be the case, but not basically right now. Yeah. It's like, oh, that that's the year we're right at now. <laughs> you, know, you know what I was surprised uh, in your statistics that you were researching, Jennifer, was that only 40% of the caregivers, um, uh, based on your research, are it are above? I suppose at age fifty, uh, is that right? Yeah, I I would have thought that number would have been higher. So that means we have a lot of young people, uh, you know, relatively young, uh, mid to perhaps even early career people who are in that caregiving role. That's significant, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They're taking care of grandparents. You know, when you look at like my household. John's an only child. Laura's, our daughter's an only child. So if something happened to me, that leaves him and her to take care of me. And mm-hmm. with the, you know, the changing in societal norms, you know, the nuclear family is not what it was in the 1950s. Maybe it's, maybe I'm, you know, you've got a single parent and now all of yeah. a sudden I need care. So my 28 year old daughter needs to take care of me. Or I know I did interview a millennial caregiver. She's taking care of her grandmother mm-hmm. and essentially their family structure was non, non-traditional. I hate to say that because I'm not really sure traditional is quite, the, <laughs> I'm not sure we have a specific traditional anymore, but in the grand scheme of the, of the term, you know, her dad was not in the picture. Um, I believe we didn't discuss him too much, but I believe it was because he'd had issues with drugs and I forgot what happened with mom, Mm. but she's taking care of her grandmother and she's, you know, the millennials do it differently, but it's like, but they're also at the beginning of their career. Many of them are at the beginning of relationships. You know, she's 33 almost. She's Mm. not married. She doesn't have kids, but it's like, I'm sure that's, something that she's interested in. Cause I know she talked about dating and caregiving, which is, huh. <laughs> that's yeah. not, that is a topic I'm glad I don't have to deal with. <laughs> um, but it's like, that's one of the problems with the, 
the vast scope of Alzheimer's is, okay, so in 2020, we have almost 6 million people, I believe it's diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and there's a lot of undiagnosed Alzheimer's and dementia, and they assume that by 2050, it'll be over 16 million, which is yeah, triple. Amazing. They're, you know, a little, little less than triple. I was hoping to find a statistic, and I don't know if you can do the math. I wanted to know what it would be like in 10 years, because 2050, I'll be, well, I'll be old. <laughs> we'll be really old. <laughs> but I figured if it triples in 30 years, and I'm really terrible at math, and it's getting a little late this evening, so. You know, I'm thinking you're looking at probably eight to 10 million in the next decade. That's yeah. a lot of people. And then for every one person diagnosed with Alzheimer's, there's about approximately three family caregivers. So if you get 10 million people with Alzheimer's, you have 30 million people taking care of them. That mm-hmm. is a huge portion of the population. Yeah. And you don't want all of them to have to drop out of the workforce, go part time, you know, try to start a podcast to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just very interesting. I wanted to get people's perspective on how can corporations help people like me and younger people that are starting their families, you know, the whole multi-generational needs of people and their families and their caregiving needs. It's going to, it's going to be a big, uh, a big lift, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was just trying to um, think through the process. If I had, if I had an employee approach me, um, uh, you know, to um, confide in me that they were taking care of someone, and they, um, uh, you know, they were investigating what the possibilities were in terms of impacts to their employment and all that. How, how would I approach that? So in the in the laboratory context, because uh, we are we are very blessed with a variety of employee wellness services, I think what I would first do is, is assess what what their most important needs are. For example, one is is it is it a time management type question um, in terms of needing to be present uh, to provide that caregiving at certain times or days, you know, of the week or what have you. Um, so the logistical demands on them uh, in terms of that caregiving role, uh, I think I would also try to assess what their emotional state was. Uh, and, and so that hopefully uh, as the manager, I could provide support and um, options to them for getting additional um, support. Um, so in my case, um, you know, if, if they were, if they, were expressing that they were overwhelmed or they were depressed or, or stressed, um, I would suggest that they go over and talk to one of our counselors in employee assistance program and, ha- you know, work through things, you know, with, uh, you know, under the care of a professional um, and, and supportive uh, structure over there. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, if the focus was, the actual employment piece, the ability to perform the job, um, I would um, assess what the business needs are, the the role performed by that person, um, what the time demands were, and the regularity of those demands, right? Um, Is it something we can flex, or is it something that we can't flex? 
Is it something where we could mix the workload, uh, perhaps with um, someone else's, um, you know, plate, so to speak? Um, and and how would that work? And how would that impact the coworker? You know, I would I would try to identify at least the possibility or the options. Um, of course, we would explain employee uh, benefits, including uh, you know uh, referring them over to our benefits uh, organization to talk about Family Medical Leave uh, Act and what they're legally provided, um, and, um, and and then and then you know I would try to cobble together as much of a support structure as I could, recognizing what the business need is and their capacity to deliver it, um, and. I don't know. I think more often than not, um, you know, there there is a solution that can be found. Occasionally there isn't. Right. It, it's just um, the situation is so demanding or overwhelming for the employee. There's more fundamental decisions that they have to make, um, you know, about that. But but to the extent that um, I could support them, I, I would and uh, and have. Um, uh, w- within the context of the business need and the and the benefit structure that we have at the lab. Well, it's very encouraging that this is a culture that you guys have had for a long time. I'm assuming the whole 30 years you've been there. I think I think to some degree it's always been there. Um, I I believe for the last 15 years, maybe even a few more than that, uh, in particular. The lab has really emphasized the work-life balance, um, and th- they've approached it from an employee wellness standpoint uh, and a business uh, benefit of increased retention and recruitment. Yeah, and I think you, I think you saw that actually in the Glassdoor, the, the Glassdoor reviews and comments. It came. Oh it my came goodness! Strong to me, anyway. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't read through all of them, but holy Toledo, I was just blown away. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just, it, you know, it was, it was like, what's the cons of working here? There aren't any. And I'm like, <laughs> how often do you see that in a job? I mean, there's always there's always some negative because you know, nothing's perfect, but yeah, that's right. I think it's and like I started to say, it's it encourages me that there are organizations like the lab that are already doing what other corporations are gonna have to face, like yesterday Mm -hmm. and especially you know with the aging population as we approach full employment you know you obviously want to retain you know somebody like yourself that's been there 30 years I, I I think that they would be very unhappy if you went to work and said my dad did over the weekend and he you know all this stuff happened and I I have to leave I have to retire now Mm -hmm. or I have to quit you know which that does happen I mean there's it amazes me how, even with all the knowledge I have, how much caregivers have like rose-colored glasses on. You, you just, it's, I think you're so close to the situation. You're so close to your spouse or your parent that it's, it's hard to see what they actually need. And, and they're very good, especially in the early stages of developing coping mechanisms to essentially fake you out. Like they don't need help. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of cope, especially in the very early stages, there's a lot of coping mechanisms that almost everybody with a cognitive decline issue goes through 
they don't want to admit it to themselves. So they use more reminder paraphernalia, post-it notes, the reminder app on your phone, whatever it takes, all of the above. And all of a sudden something happens and boom, the reality is just, you know, smacked right in your face. And sometimes that's what causes a problem with the employment because, you know, literally you come back over the from the weekend and you're like, ah, help, you know, it's like, yeah. I don't know what to do. And you're so overwhelmed. You know, obviously we don't want to make decisions during that time. So it was really great to get your opinion on the record, on, on, on tape, as they call it, not just walking around the neighborhood with all the dogs. <laughs> Steve and his wife are our neighbors, and they have two dogs. So when we all walk, we look like a parade. Just, <laughs> the just blonde the, brigade. Yes, uh, they have golden labs, and we have golden retrievers. So, yeah, there's a like definite blonde brigade. That's what we call ourselves. And my... My initial reaction, like I said, is I'm really pleased that there's, there's um, what is the right word? <laughs> I love it when the word loses, poof, goes right out of my head. There is a... a there's a, hope on the horizon for well, There's hope, but you guys are um, not an inspiration. Boy, that word is just not coming out. But you guys are a guide to what other corporations could do. And obviously, being in the San Francisco Bay Area, we do have a lot of big corporations. And I bet you a lot of them don't realize that they need to do this. Yeah. So that was, I'm not exactly sure how I ended up on this path. I had an idea and I just kept going down the path. <laughs> well, one thing I'd like to say to you on record, Jennifer, is the, what you give your, your mom and what others give to, you know, family members um, and those, uh, you know, being provided the care, um, you know, is a gift to them. And, um, and it's a sacrifice and there's, um, you know, sacrifice by its very nature involves some painful moments, right. Or fatigue and, and you know, very well what that, what that feels like, but in the end, it's a gift. And, um, you know, the, the balance there is taking care of yourself while you're taking care of another. And to the extent that employers can recognize um, that um, retaining good, solid performers and employees involves um, the whole person. And the whole person uh, includes, you know, those relationships and social bonds that provide for uh, caregivers to sacrifice their time and their energy and their financial resources to take care of a, of a loved one um, but there's paybacks to the employers for that, mm -hmm. right? There's productivity um, impacts. There's recruitment and retention like we talked about earlier. And there's a sense of ownership and commitment to uh, between a bond between employer and employee um, that is difficult to um, quantify, but nonetheless is an important element for all of the above, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so... You know, I've been very blessed to work at Livermore for, you know, almost uh, 31 years now. And, you know, it's um, it, it, it's in part because of those types of um, uh, relationships and emotional um, needs and the support provided by my employer, uh, you know, the, the compensation, the benefits, but really um, the 
there's sort of a, a commitment there, I think, between employee and employer. Um, and people make decisions, uh, uh, um, life decisions, as a result of those uh, bonds and expectations. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's not, uh, I'm sure not, not e easy for you. And, um, you know, with my mom, it was a relatively short term, um, situation, um, uh, not involving dementia, but, but a different health condition with yours, potentially it could be very long. So you need to, you know, I encourage you to, to view it as a gift and to pace yourself so that, um, you can look back on these years with your mom and, and look for the good elements of it, right? And the good part of it. Well, I just talked to another past caregiver today. This is interview number two today. Uh -huh. And she, she kind of cemented the idea that instead of going on Mondays for two, two and a half hours, I might have to start going twice a week for 45 minutes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which will require an entirely different um, assessment of my schedule. It's not impossible. I, you know, it, I'm very regimented and very, um, very good at time management. Mm -hmm. So the thought of that kind of gives me the willies. But I, I'm going to try it because there's times I come home on Monday and I'm just, I'm brain dead. I'm physically exhausted. All I want to do is just face down on the couch or the bed and just shut out the world. And if the visit has been challenging, sometimes I get up on Tuesday and like I said, I feel like Eeyore with the dark cloud over my head. And generally going to the gym and exercising helps dispel a lot of that. Yeah. But sometimes it's, it's, it's not. And my mom can literally go into the bathroom do what she needs to do and come out and be surprised that I'm there. Cause she doesn't, she'll go in, use the bathroom, come out. And it's, I, I have arrived again. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it's funny and it's interesting and it's frustrating. And it's like, ugh, you know, it's like you were in there for three minutes, give me a break. But yeah. you know, that's, that's the nature of the thing. And my goal with my mom is when she's gone is to be able to look back and say, I don't regret not doing X. You know, I don't, I hate taking her out. It's a giant pain in the rump, but she loves it and it benefits her. So we go and we sit in the park, we watch kids, you know, it's boring, but she's happy and, and it's good for her. So yeah. my goal is when she's gone is to be able to look back on everything I did and say, I did the best I could and I don't regret whatever. I, I have no regrets. Yeah. So that's, that's my goal. Maybe, maybe one thing, one, one idea to consider too is, and it seems like you're almost doing this mentally already, but uh, you know, that's an interesting idea to break up your, your, your one session into two sessions a week um, so that you can recharge in between. Right. But also maybe cause you're, you're fairly goal oriented mm -hmm. and maybe, maybe to uh, approach each of these, those interactions and say, you know, in this 45 minutes, um, I'm going to, I'm going to provide love and attention to my mom. And I want to, I want to journal one, uh, positive memory from this time. No, no pun intended. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one, one positive experience, uh, from each of those interactions and to be able to look back at that at some point in the future and reassure yourself, you know, I, I gave of myself, I gave my best. 
And um, I had this um, this moment of revelation or positive experience with my mom, you know, on, uh, you know, Thursday, uh, December 19th, you know, 2019. Yeah. That's a good idea. And it, it ties in with something else that I plan on starting at the beginning of the year. So I'm going to do that. See, yeah. and this is the benefit of this podcast. I get a lot out of it. I hope the listeners get a lot out of it. And I hope people enjoyed this conversation and the research that I did on caregiving and employment. Cause I know a lot of us are not employed outside the home anymore because we're caring. And, but the people who are trying to juggle it all more power to you. I'm here <laughs> and I I'm, tr- I'm putting this out in the universe so that everybody can hear this is what one organization does. All of the or- all the companies on across the globe can do this and it'll be a better world for everybody, employers, employees, people that need care. And that is the whole point of this conversation today. Yeah. Now I won't be bringing you highly researched episodes every month because they take a ton of time. And until I can afford an editor and research assistant, you're just going to have to stick with me through all my incantations of bringing you as much information as I can on caregiving and what we can do to make that part of our life easier. My goal with this episode was to bring you information from various sources that hopefully will inspire you to come up with a solution for yourself. And maybe you'll be able to come up with a solution that will benefit other people. You can share this with your friends and family, share this with employers. Let's start a movement on fixing caregiving and employment and really helping the American economy. And for those people that are not in the United States, I can't imagine that this won't work where you're at too. So thank you very much. Well, you've made it to the end of another episode. Thank you so much for joining me. If you found this episode helpful and informative, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. This is how new people will find us. Also, be sure to follow us on social media. All of our accounts are linked in the show notes. And as always, I will be in your ears again next Tuesday.